Enid's Gallery is brought to you by Motocross. Motocross! It's the sport that's sweeping the nation. Come for the jumps, sandbars, rocks, dry riverbeds, and wet riverbeds, and stay for the whoop-de-doos. And also the traumatic brain injury. Once I have written a theme song, it will go here. This is Peanuts Gallery. I'm Molly Lewis. And I'm Josh Kagan. And uh, today we are talking about, uh, I'm just going to show my cards up front, a goddamn ear-to-ear grinning delight of an episode, uh, 1975's You're a Good Sport, Charlie Brown, uh, an Emmy-winning episode, the third in the Peanuts canon so far, chronologically, uh, along with uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving. And to talk about it with us today, a returning guest and friend of the show and Peanuts expert, Kathleen DeVere from Loading Ready Run from the Internet. Hello, Kathleen. Hi, Josh. Hi, Molly. Hi. Uh, Let us, uh, before we get into it, let's break this down with the synopsis. Synopsis. A boy gets a concussion and is placed in a kennel. Also, a dog reads pornography. Synopsis. Kathleen, well, that's it pretty much. <laughs> that's it. Good night, everyone. <laughs> Kathleen, you specifically chose this episode. You came to us and you said, "If there, first of all, I'm dying to be on this podcast again uh, because mm-hmm. obviously it changed uh, the course of your life being with us." But uh, but you specifically said you're a good sport, Charlie Brown. And my first question to you is why? Uh, well, because the music in this episode is fantastic. Vince Guaraldi had clearly just gotten a Moog. I guess it was the, it was 1975. Moogs had sort of reached mainstream. You had uh, people like Laurie Spiegel making crazy electronic-inspired music and stuff like that. All of the PBS idents from this time had this kind of like super funky synth sound. And Vince Guaraldi had gotten in on it, and he just made a really great-sounding soundtrack, which is one of the things that sort of stuck with me as a child watching this show was how much I liked the music. And to this day, I still love that aesthetic of music. This might have been like an influential, like, uh, watching experience for me. This was formative. This might have imprinted on my musical tastes for years to come. <laughs> that I love this kind of like moogie synth. It, this is probably why I love Boards of Canada. It, this. it is funky as hell. And in fact, the Wikipedia page takes uh, uh, great care to point out uh, it is uh, they use the ARP string ensemble synthesizer. Uh, and if mm. you look that up online. It is chunky and funky as all get out. Um, and it was uh, on many 1970s and 80s pop hits, including Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here, Elton John's Someone Saved My Life Tonight, and The Buggles' Video Killed the Radio Star. Um, and uh, it is a bittersweet thing uh, because although it is funky and wonderful, and I agree, Kathleen, one of his best soundtracks, uh, it's his second to last. And in fact, and not to cast a blue spot, on the rest of the episode. Uh, This was the last episode that was uh, broadcast in Vince Guaraldi's lifetime. Uh, As we get into in the next episode, It's Arbor Day, uh, he passed away about two hours after turning in his final soundtrack work uh, for uh, Arbor Day. And you can actually, Molly and I were talking about this before the episode, you can actually kind of tell in the Arbor Day soundtrack that something is truly amiss uh, it's pretty weak sauce, wouldn't you agree, Molly? I would, yeah. 
but whereas mm. this is uh, – and one of the reasons why Arbor Day doesn't work is because it feels real synth heavy. Like it makes the synths do a lot of other jobs, whereas I feel like it's more seamlessly blended in uh, to the uh, – you know, regular analog old instruments, but it is, but so Kathleen, the music is what brought you in. Uh, when was the last time you watched this episode? Uh, I'm going to say, well, I mean about two minutes ago. Besides uh, that, b- <laughs> besides that, uh, I would have been, uh, a child in New Zealand. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, what I were, haven't watched this since I was a kid. What were your initial thoughts? Uh, revisiting well, it. Well, one, I was like, how many times did I manage to watch this on, on TV? Because I remembered all of the plot hooks. Uh, and, oh, both uh, of them. I, I like Marcy's little journalist bit. That's quite incredible. She, she literally invents podcasting in this episode. It's incredible. <laughs> yes. Her and I have very similar interviewing styles. I'm coming to realize, and I have to have a dark night of the podcasting soul about that. So other, uh, and Molly, I will open this up to you as well. Had you seen, is this one of the ones you had seen as a kid? Um, I had kind of echoes of it. There are just, uh, because I watched the same things over and over and over again, generally, I would just kind of, they were able to wash over me. But I do remember some nonsense with a pitchback machine. And I do remember Loretta, the motocross queen, which we, we'll get to. Um <laughs> And so there were like little flashes of like, oh, that that these visuals and these elements are familiar. But like if you had asked me, oh, you know, that episode where Charlie Brown does motocross, I would have been like, that's not a real thing. You made that up. You're making that up. The That's literally what my husband said to me this morning. He was like, so what's what's you're a good sport, Charlie Brown? I was like, well, Charlie Brown takes up motocross. And he's like, you are lying. <laughs> the- and I was like, no, really. Motocross was very popular in the 1970s uh, because bikes got cheaper thanks to Japanese manufacturers like sort of like. Uh, bring coming up to speed on that so it became a popular pastime yes i i observed while watching it that uh it centers around two of the most 70s uh competitive sports motocross and tennis i feel like mm-hmm. 1975 we are at peak excitement as a species for both of these things and they just had, uh, they couldn't make them separate episodes. They had to kind of chase all the trends in one. Uh, my only memory of this episode, I agree, Molly. I think I also remember the pitchback machine, although uh, I feel like that's also a bit that I have seen in a million different cartoons and things. Uh, but I squarely remember that Charlie Brown had to wear a pumpkin as a helmet. Yes. Like that jammed itself in my memory. I didn't really think of it in terms of because we've been watching these in sequence um, and sort of I don't know the sort of watching the blandishment department kind of chase certain dragons, if that makes sense. When I don't I don't remember the image of of Linus and Sally in the pumpkin patch as like a callback, like a let's twist again like we did last summer. Kind <laughs> of Binkley got that impression this time. Like, you remember when we made popular specials? Remember the pumpkin and the good times? <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I was surprised by the pumpkin patch scene uh, just because I was surprised that uh, Sally would allow herself to be in a pumpkin patch again. I was also surprised that Linus would be so quick to do harm to a pumpkin, uh, I guess, since the you didn't tell me you were going to kill it uh, event of Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. Uh, I, I guess he's come to some sort of peace with the idea that pumpkins are his sort of lord and savior, but also if they need to be cut open with a knife, uh, they can be cut open with a knife. Well, after that betrayal, you know, he was betrayed by the great pumpkin in front of all of his peers. So maybe he's exacting his revenge. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Take that! You made a fool of me. It'll never happen again. In my recollection, it was a it was a watermelon he was wearing, and now I'm trying to remember if Charlie Brown in the comic strip ends up with some sort of watermelon helmet. And they changed it to a pumpkin to make it more, like, seasonally appropriate because this aired in the fall. But I don't remember a comic strip where Charlie Brown wears a watermelon helmet, but there's, like... Well, I guess it would have to take place in the fall. Well, actually, I am an agricultural expert, so I will say this with 100% authority. Uh, I think pumpkins are, like, they're, like, a fall vegetable. So that's... uh, It would have to be in the fall, right? Yeah, but, like, was this supposed to be airing in fall? Is fall motocross season? Like, why? (laughs) Why? I mean, it did air um, October 28th, so maybe they were just trying to, like, create a new, like, add a new thing to the uh, the Halloween special sort of catalog so that they could get a block of programming rather than the half hour. Mm. Yeah. We go back, I, it's this theory that I always have that, like, stuff like this was not necessarily meant to be shown again and again in, in perpetuity throughout the universe. Like, maybe this was going to be shown, like, one or two times and then disappear off the face of the earth, which is... To be fair, exactly what seemed to happen. So maybe they were like... Well, no, 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 no. It went on to frequent rotation on on New Zealand television. (laughs) Oh, my mistake. Uh, And it was very, very influential on the early works of Neil Finn. That's the only thing I know about New Zealand is that Neil Finn from Crowded (laughs) House is there. And Lord. Um, Kathleen, you mentioned the comics a few minutes ago. uh, As you are our resident uh, show expert on all things print. Eh, uh, For the purpose of more so than me. Um... Are there ties uh, to the comic strip from this episode? I mean, I'm going to say I have read every single Peanuts comic strip, but I don't remember every single Peanuts comic strip. Um, so I won't be doing the thing where, like I did last episode, where I'm going to reference a specific strip from the 70s and immediately find it and like, well, actually you. But I do not recall any comic strip in which Charlie Brown takes up motocross. I know there's a lot of there's a lot of tennis strips, mm-hmm. and it's because Charles Schultz was very good friends with Billie Jean King. Really? And was a big tennis fan. What? Yeah, he's super good friends with Billie Jean, or he was super good friends with Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King. She organized a bunch of tennis tournaments at uh, the Charles Schultz Ice Rink in Santa Rosa, California in the early 80s. The Charles Schultz Ice Rink? Is that, st- does that, st- is that still standing <laughs> that we know of? I believe so. Molly, we should go to the Charles Schultz We Museum. should! Yeah! Field trip. No kidding. Tra- road trip montage. We're going to pause the podcast right now. We're all going to go to, where is it? Santa Rosa? Did I just make that up? Santa Rosa, California. Oh, wow. I knew something. Uh, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, yeah. No, there is, uh, there's tons and tons of Snoopy playing tennis in the strip. And I believe there's a big, is there a big tennis segment in, I don't know why I just blanked on the name. Yeah. Molly, no, there, your favorite movie. There is a tennis segment in. It, there's well, there's there's we're all gonna die, Charlie Brown, and there's the chateau is on fire, Charlie Brown, and I don't remember the actual titles of either of those. Um, Above voyage, Charlie Brown, and, and uh, what have we uh, learned? Yeah, yes. and yeah. I think I think the tennis segment is in it's at, at it's at Wimbledon is the difference, but yes. other than yeah, that, correct. it's basically the same sequence that we had here. Snoopy very realistically is able to play at Wimbledon, <laughs> uh, and. Yes, go ahead. Oh, something I wondered about the tennis sequence because it's actually in the the soundtrack, but tr- there's some voice keeping score as Snoopy plays against this pitchback machine, um, sort of John Henry style, like man against machine or dog. No, well, no, no, he's playing against Woodstock at that point. Oh, that's right. Game set and winner, Woodstock. Yeah. Spoilers. So let's let's start from the top. 
Uh, let's start from the top. We start with uh, our cold open is some good old fa- fashioned uh, Snoopy mm-hmm. doing something garbage, uh, which I, go ahead. On. I, I was watching this and I was like, the pacing of this scene is very good. That's my notes. Yeah. This is a well, like the the little like the last ball coming and hitting on the head is just like perfectly timed. And I was like, I got a chuckle out of me, even though I knew it was coming. It, I was like, oh, it's cool. a really funny, well paced, well thought out episode, and it's. I wish that I had more background on their what they were thinking from episode to episode because some of them they really put their all into, and some of them they're just sort of like. I think Molly was like, I don't want to do it. And the audience is like, I don't want to watch it either. This is all terrible. Um, but I wonder, Kathleen, if it goes to what you were saying that he and, uh, you know, Schultz just loved tennis so much that he got excited about it as opposed to like, all right, we're doing an episode about Arbor Day. And I guess that means treats. Mm. <laughs> I I don't know. No. Sometimes you just write something and it turns out way better than you think it's going well, to. Well, because the thing I, I noticed about this episode overall is that it has all the sort of hallmarks of a garbage peanut special. You know, there's kind of, there's no oh, real yeah. sense of any event connecting in any meaningful way to any other event. There's a lot of extended sort of Snoopy physical comedy bullshit. Um, the soundtrack is really sort of in your face and there's a motocross sort of motif that keeps coming back that can kind of the, the sort of arpeggiated baseline thing i think can kind of drill a hole in your head after a while um <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> oh i love it you, you, you kind of get like sort of a stockholm syndrome for it after a while um but it, i was certain that we'd get on this call and everyone would be like Woof, this one am i right even though i kite i enjoyed it i just couldn't pinpoint why but it is really fun, and that surprised me somehow. Oh, absolutely. Usually the garbage episodes are like complete slogs, but this is just one. Like, it won the Emmy, and when you hold it up to everything else that came before it, I, besides uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving, fellow Emmy winners, I totally get it. It None of it should work, mm-hmm. and nothing happens, but nothing happens in a very enjoyable way. Uh, and to that point, uh, like I was saying, we open with Snoopy doing tennis bullshit. Uh, first of all, my first note is his outfit is very cute. Yeah. Uh, I'm not generally a fan of Snoopy wearing human clothes or dogs in human clothes, although, uh, Banjo wears a turtleneck very Natalie, mm-hmm. but that's just, uh, you know, that's a sometimes food. Uh, but Snoopy looks super cute. He has real good action and interplay with the pitchback machine, uh, as Kathleen pointed out, exceptionally well timed. And I'm usually adv- I'm usually super adverse. My favorite example is uh, Snoopy wrestling with the chair in Thanksgiving, which for some reason drove me absolutely just like crazy with whatever the opposite of laughter is inertia uh and i found this snoopy bullshit to be fun and good and the and who knows maybe it's the attitude that i brought to the episode today or maybe it was just it was it was just clear like all the the bit had a beginning middle and end everything every scene every sort of frame in it had purpose and it was it was delightful it was also well animated for a peanut special. And the whole episode is and like they blandish the heck out of it. But even like the crowd scenes as we go on in this episode, it's not that indistinct blur of kids. Like they actually drew individual kids who had individual expressions and emotions. And, and I think we'll, we'll talk about it more in detail as we sort of approach it within the plot. But there are a lot of sequences where something actiony happens 
And they just let some child on screen describe it while the action happens off screen. Yes. Like they lean into that a couple times in a way like they've gotten away with that so many times that you just kind of let like, OK, I'll let you have this one. Oh, yeah. And let's not kid ourselves. This isn't like Moana. Like there is uh, there there are a lot of sort of corners cut and a lot of uh, cycles uh recycled mm-hmm. uh even in this uh mm-hmm. in the opening mm-hmm. tennis bits like a lot of the same shots of Snoopy going to the net uh and we get to motocross a lot of shots of Charlie Brown trying to make it up one stubborn hill uh but it just there is just it just feels like everyone was real happy to make this one yeah. uh and as a result uh as a result I was happy as well uh we do our Snoopy bullshit we cut to the title card. You're a good sport, Charlie Brown. And then we are, uh, we're into the episode. Uh, and we get, it's sort of like an M. Night Shyamalan thing because we are really set up in the first five minutes that this is going to be the tennis episode. Uh, and if I were not aware that we're going to take a hard right turn into motocross, I would be like, Oh, we're going to, this is going to be 25 minutes of breezy tennis bullshit. Um, but I guess we all looked up the episode beforehand. So we all knew that this was going to be a motocross bullshit episode. Oh, no, that is not the case for me. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. There are several kind of jukes because there's a, there's some tennis bullshit and there's some football bullshit. And then Peppermint Patty pops a wheelie into the scene and is like, Hey, dummies, motocross. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Yes, really. <laughs> she's basically the Johnny Appleseed of motocross. Oh yeah, she's, she's concentric circles around town, stopping people from. Hey, what are you doing? You doing some peanuts bullshit? Fuck that motocross, dudes. <laughs> Frizz. Uh, Let's all drive bikes that run leaded gasoline. Woo, we're children. Woo, it's the seventies. It's unsupervised. Before we move into, sorry, I want to. I don't want to cut. I I don't want to elongate the episode. But before we move into the motocross portion, oh, we got time. Snoopy's tennis bullshit. I want to say I'm pretty sure what I think they're doing is I think that's an extended John McEnroe parody what? because that's what the children of the 1970s wanted to see was Snoopy acting like John McEnroe. Was McEnroe active in the mid seventies? I thought he was more of a. He was. I, well, I looked it up on. Uh, I looked it up on Wikipedia, and I'll pass it off as my own information, as is podcasting law. Uh, it looks like McEnroe started being super active in seventy nine, and then into the eighties. So this is proto McEnroe. Um, yeah. So really, so this is this is not even John McEnroe. This is just. Snoopy has bad tennis manners. But he smashes the tennis racket over his head, and I'm pretty sure I've seen footage of John McEnroe like wielding a tennis racket, being like, "Wow!" Yeah, wah, I, wah. I, I don't claim to be a tennis expert or, in fact, any kind of expert, but I, I feel like McEnroe, although McEnroe certainly raised it to an art form, I feel like tennis might be the one of the most temper tantrumist sports. I would think that's true, but I, I feel like maybe. McEnroe and Snoopy are kind of where that started. Though there is, I did. I think the Williams sisters also pioneered these, like basically screaming as you hit the ball thing. So it's gotten to be angry over time. I feel. Yeah. I, hmm. Now I don't know why they would like. I mean, obviously, I know Snoopy had like bad tennis manners in the in the comic strip, but it's sort of like raised to eleven here. Yeah. I, don't I see think why you'd put that in a children's television special. It seems to be teaching them poor lessons about sportsmanship. What I'm arguing is that Snoopy invented tennis rage. He he pioneered it. And that McEnroe was biting his shit? Yeah, he was going to go into motocross, and then he was like, nope, that's how I'm going (laughs) to get it out of my system. 
<laughs> Here's an opportunity. Listeners, if you know when Tennis Rage was invented, please hit us up on Peanuts Podcast on Twitter. Hashtag Tennis Rage. Hashtag Tennis Rage. Uh, we see Linus and Sally strolling towards the tennis court. Uh Sally thanks Linus for joining him for tennis today. Linus says, that's the only trouble with tennis. You can't play it alone. Linus is an asshole. And this is one of the many times in the episode that his assholishness comes through. Basically, it would be like, Molly, if you and I went out for ice cream or something and you were like, hey, Josh, thanks for going out for ice cream. And it's like, yeah, well... It's either this or being by myself. And you'd be like, oh, I, go fuck yourself, dude. You're not a good person. <laughs> Why does Linus insist on hanging out with Sally when Sally drives him crazy? Well, because you can't play tennis alone, Josh. Well, yeah, but I feel like there are other, like, we, we'll we get this in the next episode as well, where uh, Sally's like, I need help with my book report. And Linus is like, I'll help you, uh, even though you call me your sweet baboo and you drive me nuts. Kathleen, what do you think it is in Linus's nature that he insists on hanging out with people who drive him crazy? Um, I think that they just write Linus uh, in an inauthentic way to add comedic tension to the episode. I don't think Linus is behaving particularly in character this episode. There's my criticism. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. I mean, it's true. He cuts open a pumpkin. He encourages Charlie Brown to do something foolhardy. He does give him a good pep talk at the end, which is very Linus-y. But like, typically, Linus is more like the voice of reason in the Peanuts uh, universe. Right. And Linus is very excited about being Charlie Brown's pit crew. To the point where he's selling him on motocross and he's like, and don't forget, Charlie Brown, I'll be your pit crew. Pretty great, huh? Like you've always wanted? Like we've always talked well, about? That's actually something Linus did this episode that I thought was pretty on model where, you know, Peppermint Patty pops a wheelie into town and goes, hey, Debbie's motocross, bye. And then uh, Linus is like, that's a great idea, Charlie Brown. You should motocross. And Charlie Brown's like, I don't want to. And Linus goes, it's okay. Just liquidate your assets and buy a bike and I'll be your pit crew and it'll be great and I'll be your pit crew. And then at the end... Spoiler, <laughs> Linus is like, well, Charlie Brown, maybe the real motocross was the friends we made along the way. After he is like the same day, he has told Charlie Brown, sell everything you own and buy a bike and do motocross. It's your destiny and I'll be your pit crew. <laughs> and I think that pivot from like, you should do this to it didn't really matter if you did that is a classic sort of, at least in the television universe, a classic Linus move. Yes, mm -hmm. completely agreed. There's another, uh, there's another, uh, if not on model for Linus, certainly on model for Van Peltz in general. Uh, when Sally and Linus uh, get to the tennis court, uh, there is uh, a lot of shoe leather extended about the plague of big kids uh, taking over the tennis courts where Linus goes into uh, my favorite version of Linus, which is like Alex Jones Linus, where <laughs> unprovoked by nothing and certainly nothing that we've seen in any episode or the strip up until this point, Linus just goes into an insane tear where he's like, we're probably not going to get to play because there are big kids on the field. Big kids do everything. They take everything from us. Big kids control the media. So Sell all your possessions and join the fight with me against big kids. Uh, and then Sally's like, hey, big kids, get out of here. Or Linus is going to beat you up. And then Linus is like, peace out. I don't want to do anything. I just want to stand here and complain. Linus is basically every dude on the Internet. Mm hmm. I'm going to complain vociferously. You going to do anything about it? Oh, no, I think I need to go hold my blanket and suck my thumb. <laughs> it's a good bit, honestly. I think it it's is. Funny. Um, 
It, it all, oh, and then it actually, as much as a uh, dill hole as Linus was saying, you can't play tennis by yourself, they actually close out the bit with Sally repeating that line. And I made the note like, oh, look, it's like a real grown up back to the beginning of the bit and everything. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's a- like, it's like they read the script once as after they read it. <laughs> Oh, let's do Hey, I have an idea. Let's do a thing that gives this closure. I I don't know what Somebody took writing 101 at the local community college and yes. I tell you it really paid off. Exactly. But then they were <laughs> then they all got into a motocross accident and forgot it for Arbor Day Charlie Brown, which is just like it you could write a better script if you just blindfolded yourself and hit the keyboard with your fist, strong bad style. Um, we get uh, we get Snoopy versus an invisible opponent, um, and a and the voice of God himself uh, uh, calling the game. This is again a very fun sequence, even though it seems to be the same four frames of Snoopy playing tennis over and over and over again. Uh, but they're cute they frames. They are. They're, they're really visually pleasing. Because I think that's the upsetting thing about the wrestling with a chair sequence is it's kind of grotesque and violent. You know, there's not really a like, oh, Snoopy wrestling that chair. It's like, oh, Snoopy going to get fucked up. Like it, it's not, it, I, you, it, it's just sort of gross in its sort yeah. of aggression. But this is just like, oh, it's a dog in a hat. He's played a, he's played a tennis. He looks very good in yellow, w- by the way. Like, it, everybody, yeah. by the way, everybody's outfits are completely on point in this episode. Uh, Peppermint mm-hmm. Patty's motocross outfit, kicking. Like, it's just, everybody, it's just great. Everybody, everybody's real on point. Uh, we get the nice punchline with the tennis thing that his unseen opponent is Woodstock, which I thought was like, oh, that's a great use of Woodstock. That's, you're expecting something. You get a little tiny bird. He wins. Um, I will say that between the cold open and this extended sequence, it's a full like five minutes of a 25 minute episode of Snoopy playing tennis. And I have to wonder if people's when they were watching this the first time around, if their minds were blown when Peppermint Patty comes in on like fuck tennis motocross. I feel they must have been. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Although realistically, no. No, Josh, because they would have read in the TV guide, Charlie Brown takes up motocross. Oh, that's true. Snoopy plays tennis. (laughs) Five minutes of tennis bullshit followed by 20 minutes of motocross. And then then, like we've said, Peppermint Patty uh, ends the tennis game. Six tennis games. Six matches of tennis, which seem to unfold in real time. And then Peppermint Patty shows up and is like, hey, Snoop, come on. We got motocrossing to do. Get yourself a bike. We got this going on. She drives off. We get some, uh, we get some line, uh, we get some Linus, Charlie Brown and Lucy action. Uh, we're going to do the football bit once again. Uh, except this time, Charlie Brown has, uh, what I think is the only justified sudden rage uh in the peanuts animated canon so far of course the law in peanuts canon is if somebody gives you any information uh be it good bad or indifferent your job as the person receiving this information is to break into a blind rage uh now and it's usually completely unsupported but this time i really was squarely in charlie brown's corner like hey no Absolutely 100% go fuck yourself, Lucy. I am not going to kick that football. Uh, I found that very satisfying. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also we came to find out there's more than one football in this town. So this whole time, Charlie Brown didn't need Lucy to. Oh, but, but Charlie Brown and Linus's Charlie Brown and Linus's football is very weird. Uh, it's like a non-Newtonian fluid mm-hmm. because it seems to have the shape and density of a regular football, and then it gets stuck on the goalpost, and then it melts. And then it returns to its regular shape. Obviously, again, whatever uh, scientific anomaly malaise which has taken over this town seems to uh, affect the shape and density of things as well. Uh, But uh, I really liked the concept that they were doing their usual football bullshit and Peppermint Patty was like, I am tired of this. I am tired. Like, it's almost like Peppermint Patty was like, I'm going off script. I'm hijacked. She effectively hijacks the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, but it's good, though. They, they sneak up on you because the thing is called you're a good sport, but they're not specific about what sport. And so Peppermint Patty comes in and she's like, I bet you didn't expect it to be motocross. Goodbye. <laughs> Hiya, gay. Let me give you a flash on what's new. It's called motocross. Motocross? Uh, yeah, they they cover a lot. They football, baseball, motocross, and tennis in one episode. And again, I think that's one of the reasons why I like it so much because it's active. I feel like I feel like they actually had to get off their asses and do a lot of animation because these characters are like running and jumping and riding and doing things and it's so enjoyable and it's enjoy and it really takes advantage of the fact like oh this is an animated medium we should have these kids like moving around <laughs> and doing things which is why uh, and Kathleen I, I I I don't believe there was a ton of motocross in the strip either and it's almost like it took them all of these episodes to go like wait a minute what if they did things that they didn't do in the strip that one can only do in an animated medium maybe Ooh, wow. This brings such, like, lofty artistic goals to a throwaway special about motocross. But that's the thing. I don't feel like it's throwaway. Like, well, I, feel I don't like... think anybody intended it for it to be, like, as good as it is. Yeah. I feel like it's, it may be the first time that one of these animated specials has chased a trend. And that also includes, like, the synth music. That's a That was a very newfangled thing at this point. And, like... This is a rabbit hole I'm kind of falling down independent of this podcast, but like a lot of the synth that was available at the time was like wood paneled and real chonky. And <laughs> what a good word. Chonky, yeah, yeah with the new Chonky. But yeah, this one feels sort of uniquely of its time. Like if I had to guess, I'd be like, this was probably mid 70s. And a lot of the other ones are kind of suspended of time, sort of in keeping with, you know, the strips. But I will also add, not in a way, as opposed to in past episodes where they use like the fresh lingo of the day and it never sounds like it never sounds more like 60 year old men doing things, writing things for eight year olds than when Peppermint Patty's like, hey, Hepcats, check this out. Like, you know, and she talks like one of the mod squad. (laughs) It doesn't feel it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel like it was foisted upon it like it's it's weird that they're all driving motorbikes but at the same time it doesn't it doesn't feel like a desperate grab for relevance it feels more like oh we're just they're just keeping up with the times i really i just really liked this episode you guys i i it just it's just it, it was just fun it kind of has 
it has that same like good time feelings of like I, I don't like a like a mid seventies sort of throwaway one hit wonder. Like this is the I don't like spiders and snakes of uh, of Charlie Brown episodes. It's just fun. <laughs> it doesn't really mean anything. It's kind of weightless, but it, it you know it just wants to it just wants to you know show you some kids falling over for twenty five minutes and then get out of your way. It's thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and because you know the in our next episode we'll talk about the Arbor Day special and. The Arbor Day one feels like because it's bookended by a framing device, like a sort of a school assignment. And then everything in the middle is kind of it just feels like they went to every strip that had a tree in it. And they were like, I don't know, throw it all together. And maybe it makes sense. And this one, like like you said, Josh, they had no concern about it making sense. It's just every sequence yeah. was fun and sounded and looked good. And that's really, I think, one of the more important things to consider when you're making animation, you know? <laughs> Well, I think it's, I also think it's, uh, that's important that, like, unlike some of the specials, which are, like, just cobbled together comic scripts, and they've put together, like, five or six semi-related comic scripts, but there's no, like, firm narrative through line, this has, Mm -hmm. like, an arc that it follows, right? Like, because I think it is totally original, I think it's more pleasingly written for the medium, right? They're not sort of adapting uh, like uh, an already existing thing they're like how do we tell a motocross story because motocross is cool i guess maybe we don't have enough motocross all right put some tennis stuff in there but it all works right <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like there are a lot where charlie brown is sort of dragged through something unwittingly and ends up suffering in like not in like a saw sort of sense but like you know there's a, a sort of a stench of misery about the whole thing and I feel like the people that watch peanut specials are sort of divided between people that are as quick to dehumanize Charlie Brown as the rest of the universe or people that empathize with Charlie Brown. Um, but there's not that sense of like Charlie Brown just being dragged as a prisoner through his own life in this one. Like he actually he gets thrown into a thing he doesn't want to do, but he ends up kind of winning the day. And that doesn't happen often enough, I think. No, he d- he uh, and I was I was more with Charlie Brown in this episode than I have been in I think just about any other episode until the last two minutes, <laughs> at which point I wanted to jump through my computer screen and wring his little neck <laughs> for being such an ungrateful jerk. But we will get to that. <laughs> we Charlie Brown uh, goes back to the football nonsense uh, after Peppermint Patty basically shows up and says, "Hey, squares, guess what? It's motocross." time pulls out a map shows all of the awesome things that are going to be on the motocross track including rocks riverbeds and whoop-de-doos i looked these up i do not think this is official motocross terminology uh (laughs) although they all sound like a good time it's Um, so evocative i know exactly what a whoop-de-doo is and what it feels like i assume that's the noise you make uh when you do it uh, right before you crash to earth and break every fucking it's a three-stage process there's a whoop and a d and a do do and not everybody makes it to the do (laughs) i wonder if that's whoop D, do, do, yes. <laughs> then, then you are a pile of do. Um, Charlie Brown doesn't kick the football, and I've never been more ambivalent. But it, and they could have put a slightly finer point on this. But uh, Linus is like, "Hey, you should. Uh, we should do some motocross. What do you think of that?" And Charlie Brown's like, "I don't know." And then he doesn't kick the football. And Lucy says, "Maybe you should try a new sport." And this is the closest thing that we get to a segue into Charlie Brown being like, 
oh, I guess motocross is the obvious choice. How could it be worse? <laughs> uh, a little interesting thing here. Uh, Linus is like, oh, you should just buy a bike and then I'll be your pit crew and it's going to be great. And Charlie Brown's like, how can I do that? I am not a millionaire. Is the implication, and uh, Kathleen is our strip expert, you can speak to this. Is Peppermint Patty, is her family wealthy? Um, I can say for a fact that Peppermint Patty, uh, her dad is a single parent and he travels for work a lot. So I'm assuming he's successful in some way. Sure. And, uh, and gives her. Also that Peppermint Patty is quite doted upon to make up for her lack of mother and her father's frequent absence. She's like a latchkey kid, like canonically in the strip. So I have a feeling that perhaps her dad buys her things to sort of make up for a lack of emotional involvement or like time investment. That's why Peppermint Patty likes her sandals so much, because her dad bought them for her. Oh, is that, and that's, that's in the strip? That's in the strip. That's a thing where the school dress code changes, and God, I don't, I don't know what year this happens, but the school dress code changes, and Peppermint Patty can't wear sandals to school anymore, and she gets really bummed out about it because her dad bought her the sandals, because, and it's something like, because it's like, I'm his precious jewel or something. I haven't read these strips in years, but like, it's a... That's adorable. It's very sweet. Yeah, I have a strip actually on my fridge where uh, his dad buys her roses for her birthday because he says he wants to be the first man to buy her roses. And he show- she shows them off to Charlie Brown like, look, I feel feminine. Um, and I-, I related to that real deep. And actually, Kathleen, the last episode of this podcast that you were on, um, It's a Mystery, we see the inside of Peppermint Patty's house. And it is a gigantic. There's like spiral staircases and paintings and like, oh, that's it's right. a whole thing. That's right. So I guess yeah. I guess Peppermint Patty and Marcy and Franklin are from are we to say they are from the tonier side of town? The right side of the tracks? They do go to a different elementary school. So and like all of Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. I mean I would think in the strip they go to a different elementary school. Yes. Uh maybe it's some sort of Montessori deal. Maybe. I don't know. Sort of, and yeah, yeah, like I guess that you do see sort of like more like sort of modest like 1960s style like single level ranch houses typically for Charlie Brown and the neighborhood kids. Uh Oh, yeah. And now that I'm thinking about it in There's No Time for Love, Charlie Brown, Marcy's house is like something. It's like a set from a Kate Bush video. Like there is a scene where she's running down a staircase that seems to have no beginning and no end. Oh, yeah. And yeah, no. So I guess we are to believe then that uh, that, yeah, when Charlie Brown, the son of a barber, Mm-hmm. A simple, a simple life, a simple working class man of scissors and hair. Um, his dad. So they go to the uh, they go to the local bike shop and they buy a bike for what appears to be seventy five to eighty five cents. I mean, it was the seventies. Things were worth less. <laughs> still, still, in all, I, I felt the same way about that that I feel about whenever I see like a place that's got like half price sushi. It's like, mm, at what cost? <laughs> at what cost? You can buy a seventy five cent uh, motocross bike, but is it really the best idea? Uh, and, but to its credit, the bike stays together the entire episode, which can't be said of just about everybody else. Everybody else falls out of the motocross very quickly. Well, and like I, the 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 course that they're on, there are I don't know how many forty children maybe on these rickety bikes yep. driving through like mud and thickets and whoop de doos. Just like no responsible adult would allow this to happen. Any kind of adult supervision, the Peanuts universe is just like don't even don't worry about it. 
Like, <laughs> the Peanuts universe is children roaming the streets till midnight with, like, minimal, if any, supervision and just dogs r- literally running wild, you know? <laughs> it's uh, it, it's true madness. I feel like, however, like, kids did totally do motocross in the 1970s and 1980s. Like, that was a, that was a sport a child could do. And I think that, I mean, certainly Molly and I have a lot of fun on the show coming up with the, uh, with the alternate universe meat lump theory where the adults have been turned into gelatinous hunks of meat. But I, I feel like this, I am a, you know, I did my growing up in the seventies and eighties. I feel like this speaks to, and I had a pretty overprotective mom, but I still did do a lot of wandering around on my own when I felt the need to leave my house and not watch television. Like this, this feels representative of the childhood experience in the 1970s and 80s. Instead of a regular racetrack, this course is made up of jumps, sandbars, rocks, dry riverbeds, wet riverbeds, and whoop-dee-doos. Whoop-dee-doos? Uh, we, get to, uh, we get to the motocross track, and there are a bunch of garbage characters working on their bikes. Uh, Charlie Brown and Linus uh, pull up on their garbage bike, uh, which, again... I really, I even like the way that uh, Charlie Brown's garbage bike was animated. Like it was, uh, the tires were wonky. It was, it was like Charlie Brown's soul as a bike. I thought it looked really cool. All of the bikes move, like all of the mo- the motorized things are not simply they have just slid a motorized thing across the frame, whereas, as you know, I was kind of expecting from Charlie Brown level animation. They all have their own animation cycles and they move with tremendous personality, which I like. Yeah. Like, obviously, uh, like, uh, Peppermint Patty's bike moves smoothly and fast and Charlie Brown is this, like, jiggity-jaggity thing that, like, backfires every, like, every couple seconds. And I just think that was, I just think it like adds a lot, especially since you're just watching people ride bikes a lot, but to have yep. them, you know, express the characters through their animation, it's a step above. It really does feel like, cause the episode that we did prior to this one was, uh, be, I think be my Valentine is the title. It's uh, the Valentine yep. one. Um, and that is there's such there's this weird sort of emotional sort of drainage to the whole thing just everybody's arc is just some form of like oh valentine's day and feelings and i just have to imagine that in the blandishment department when they went you know what screw it let's do a motocross episode is there a motocross strip there isn't who cares let's do it and just like it seems (laughs) to have injected some sort of energy into the whole blandishment process because i agree there's just little details and little sort of attention to things all about this this episode and there seems to it seems like they remembered like oh we can have fun making these i think yeah it's uh Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's like in be my valentine and in our next episode arbor day nothing happens and it looks terrible in this episode nothing happens but it looks great uh, and I really appreciated <laughs> yeah. that. Although there are, like I, like we mentioned at the top of the, uh, our episode, there is some corner cutting that still happens. And, uh, one of my favorite examples of cheapo animation happens when Peppermint Patty is like, Hey, everyone, check out my hottest shit bike. See what it can do. Uh, and then she revs it up for what feels like five minutes, blowing cloud after cloud of exhaust in Franklin's face, uh, which I, I found to be bothersome. Although, uh, to his credit, <laughs> 
that Franklin was just saying. They didn't bother to animate Franklin, and he just stood there like, hey, look at all that exhaust coming out of your bike. That's great, I suppose. Uh, and then Peppermint Patty drives her bike off screen. Everybody goes, wow. And then she drives her bike back on screen. I mean, it's still a peanut special, Josh, please. Yes. <laughs> Hey, watch this, Chuck. I'll show you what my piece can do. Wow. Boy, I'm ready for the old race anytime. Though I'd like to throw a question open to the group, though. Um, Please. If you were in, say, this universe, and you could do something awesome off-screen without having to show it or explain how you did it in the style of Peppermint Patty doing sweet motocross stunts, what cool activity would you do off-screen while the Peanuts describe it to the audience? Definitely, uh, like, uh, like Olympic-level floor gymnastics tumbling pass. God damn it. <laughs> how, <laughs> what would it be just to do, like, flippy shit? That was exactly <laughs> my answer. Not the floor gymnastics part. Uh, although I was, I, yeah, some kind of, like, cool-ass either parkour or Jackie Chan shit. Like, something <laughs> that would be especially, uh, especially odd for my garbage ottoman-shaped body to do. Yeah. Like, oh my God, look at John. Oh, I can't believe he did the triple axle off of that thing. Oh, and 10 flips. I, he climbed up a building only using his chin. You know, like, that's, <laughs> right. how about you, Molly? I think I would, like, frame a house or something. Like, something sort of team-oriented, but it's just me by myself. Like, wow, she carved down that entire tree. Wow, she made it into two by fours. Oh my God, she built a clubhouse. Yay! And all we hear are, like, you know, the sound Sound effects library saw and hammer sounds. Yeah, maybe like a shot of a tree with a cloud of smoke at the top where I'm building my treehouse frantically. Could you have like an Amish person come in, whistle appreciatively, and then leave? She's <laughs> uh, a, a good off screen barn. For everything I do. Wow. Really hosting that podcast there. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's good. Now I just want to. <laughs> so I've been working on this project. Uh, that's an action adventure movie, and it is not a thing that I have a lot of experience doing. Uh, and I would often tell my producer, like, hey, I'm going to clock out for the day because I've run out of different ways to say these two characters fight. Uh, but uh, I'm also... <laughs> They fight. Okay, I'm done. Uh, and neither of them are happy about it, but one of them comes out victorious. But I did write a sequence uh, because it is an action adventure movie, but we don't know what the budget's going to be. So I wrote a thing where there is about to be a car crash. Our hero talks into their watch to like their overseer off screen, like send, you know, send the giant inflatable cushion. And then we just hold on the character's face as we hear off screen a soft <coughs> And then sort of that whistle thud. And then we pull back to reveal a giant cushion uh, in the middle of a, uh, of an intersection. Uh, and I was very proud of myself. I was like, that's the cheapest thing I've ever written. And they read it and they were like, that's the cheapest thing you've ever, even by our standards, A, that doesn't make any sense. And I was like, yeah, I just, I just, I love the stuff often happening off screen bit. I wish they were a little more clever about it in this, but I am going to give them a mulligan because everything else in the episode works so well, including, but not limited to, 
the invention of podcasting by one Ms. Marcy. Molly, you love this bit. Take it away. <laughs> I did. Well, she she really rids herself of any agency in this whole thing. But she walks up to a Peppermint Patty and is like, sir, they handed me this microphone and these headphones and this, you know, SD card based re- you know, recording interface or whatever she said. And the I, longest I guess mic I'm- cable known to man. <laughs> oh my god, I was laughing at that mic cable. I was like, oh man, it just keeps going. Hee hee, analog. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, sir, we haven't invented wireless technology yet, so I'm kind of marooned. Um, but uh, she ends up interviewing uh, Peppermint Patty's like, oh, well, you'll do fine, kid. You can interview me as your first, as your first uh, interview. And Marcy takes to it like a fish to water. She is like, "Well, sir, how are you going to do in the race today?" Well, I well, that's great. Let's go interview somebody else. That's really interesting, and it just perfectly gets the sort of podcast sort of patter of like pretending to ask a question and then answering it yourself. Oh yeah, and then wandering away to the next topic. And it's I just can't believe that she invented podcasting right in front of us. Well, and that as like the sports interviewer patter is like, obviously, I think the joke is like, it's probably done before Marcy did it and has been done several times afterwards. I know I have written sort of like, uh, like joke sequences about that, like somebody being like, hey, what do you think? And then the person being like, well, actually, I do have some major concerns. Well, you hear they're all hyped up, right? Like, I've definitely done that, like, I think this year at Loading Ready Run. I've written, like, a joke sports interview sequence. Maybe subconsciously cribbed from Marcy's amazing bit. There you go. But what I like is that she is just crap at it, but very committed. So that makes it funnier. <laughs> Which is really what podcasting's all about. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and she could do this bit for the rest of the episode, and I wouldn't cry. Like, it's, it's like, one of my it's favorite... It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite... It's one of my favorite Marcy bits to date Mm -hmm. uh it's such a perfect use of her and her sort of weird disconnection from the rest of the world here's a question though is she talking into a camera or not because she seems to do takes to it i mean i think in giving her the power to narrate the proceedings she can now see through the fourth wall you know like it's just sort of it sort of breaks the metaphysics of the whole the whole narrative yeah i feel like she's supposed to be doing an audio only bit right and th- that was my that was my assumption, but as I said, she then kept sort of looking out at the camera, like, "What do you What do you guys out there think? 1975? How's it going?" Well, how do we know for sure though? Because of like the whole glasses situation. Like she's she she's one of the oh, few peanuts true. characters that doesn't quite have eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! She's wait a minute. She she are you proposing she's like Jordy LaForge? Is that she, she's, are those glasses the only thing that's being able to allow her to see? I was thinking more like Gambit, but sure, sure. Or not not Gambit. What's his name? Ah, it doesn't matter. X-Men. I believe Cyclops. Uh, Cyclops, yes, Cyclops. Thank you. Yes. Oh, Gambit's the one with the blue hair. Okay, I'm back. Hi. Hi. Gambit's the one that shoots cards. It is very Cajun. And okay. has never been in a movie. Well, there's no Peanuts character analogous to that. I don't know what I was thinking. No, he's I mean, in- Snoopy plays like in, in uh, It's a Nightmare, Charlie Brown. He goes to the Yukon to play poker. Oh, God, I can't wait. <gasps> I can't wait for that one. That one's insane. Oh, that um, one sucks. I hate that. I hate what it is. Okay, well, we look forward to having you back. This is Marcy in the pit area. We're going to talk to some of the contestants. Hi, sir. I see you have an interesting bike there. Care to let the fans in on your strategy? Hey, well, now that... That's very interesting. I'm sure you'll stick to the leaders and pace yourself. So you can take over at the sprint lap. No, as a matter of... Oh, I see. 
We rather think an early lead would be more appropriate. There you have it, fans. The strategy of Peppermint Patty. Good luck, sir. Um, yeah, so we, we have the, the return of the mass Marvel. Uh, worth noting, not only does Peppermint Patty not understand that Snoopy is a dog, but then when he puts on a mask, understand that it's Snoopy. There are now so many layers of disconnect here that I, I almost worry that maybe it is Peppermint Patty who, in fact, does not have eyes and needs Marcy's glasses or something. Or if there's some kind of if there's some kind of block or if she's so sheltered by her upper class childhood, she doesn't know the difference between humans and dogs. I'm very confused. The other children don't realize he's a dog either. They're cheering for the Masked Marvel, and then later when he's showboating in front of them, they're like, yay, Masked Marvel! They're not like, why is a dog popping a wheelie, right? <laughs> well, like, in, in in this race, you know, there's there's a big crash, which we don't see, but is described to us in unison talking, per Charlie Brown tradition, and then an ambulance comes, takes them away, it goes to the vet and the hospital. There's a bit of a mix-up. Charlie Brown goes to the vet. Snoopy goes to the hospital. But they know that they have a human and a and something that needs to go to the vet. And then they bring him back. And the secret's not out somehow that the masked Marvel is a dog. It's, it's it's just like, you know, that's that's kind of a pivotal scene in, for example, the 1998 Disney feature Mulan, where she goes to the hospital and they go, wait, she's a woman. And her that's the whole unmasking. But apparently the masked Marvel is immune to that sort of thing or is like some sort of trade secret that the doctors are in on i don't know chemtrails uh (laughs) i my the only thing is i wonder if because charlie brown peppermint patty are at the start line for the big motocross peppermint patty is like look it's the mass marvel and charlie brown says mass marvel 14 times and i couldn't tell if it was because he was like who's this mass marvel or if he was saying it like no no, that's not. That's just my dog wearing a mask. You understand? It's definitely that. the latter, I think. Okay, good. Yeah. good. Because it's masked Marvel, right? Like, is yeah. that kind of poor Charlie Brown? Uh, but he kind of so- goes on with it. He's not like I beat Snoopy. He's no, I like, will not compete with my own dog. This is a basing. No, no like, oh, I mean, he put the dog on his baseball team. Like Snoopy is the shortstop. Charlie Brown at some point is like complicit in this because he needs a ninth uh, team member. Charlie Brown is the The big race begins, and as Molly uh, pointed out, uh, immediately there's a giant crash. Snoopy and Charlie Brown uh, are, uh, are are knocked out, taken to the wrong hospitals. Uh, Charlie Brown's concussion animation cycle, uh, although it's not – I shouldn't be laughing at a child with head trauma. He does have that great, like, boo look on his face that his face is just designed for it it's perfect <laughs> it is it is what i believe the internet refers to as the derp uh and uh he may have he may have invented and perfected it uh and he is in such a long fugue stake that it seems to take him hours before he realizes that he is locked in a cage at a kennel while his dog is at a hospital reading i want to point this out thank you 1970s He's reading Play Dog magazine. Mm. That's a joke for the adults how, in the room. How does a thing like that happen? I feel like if you did that now, 
your entire you you would be you'd be sued your channel would be shut down there would be think pieces there would be animation would be declared illegal and by the way i'm not saying i'm not saying i'm and i'm saying that all is a good thing uh it's also like i'm used to things i'm used to pop culture uh signifiers popping up in charlie brown not often and always uh oddly placed this felt particularly weird because it's porn did it did it stick in y'all's craw? He was just reading it for the articles. It's fine. My mistake. Thank you. That's what I was My gonna mistake. say. <laughs> Snoopy's a sophisticate, please. For, oh, perhaps he had a piece in it. He is a writer. Oh, maybe. He is a writer after yeah. all. That's true. Finally, the conclusion of the of the dark and stormy night. But uh I feel like this is the most lavish hospital I have ever seen. That fruit basket. I know. The, the food he's eating. It's the, it's the same hospital that Lila's in, maybe. Yeah. It's just sort of the oh, one luxury hospital in town. It is nowhere near... It, Lila's hospital is nowhere near as nice, I feel like. Uh, this one, he's he's eating like a banquet, and there are flowers and fruit and pornographic magazines with great articles, and uh, <laughs> he's, he's just living the life of Riley there. Uh, Charlie Brown uh, comes to his senses... Realize in that a room full of dogs that are all flipping out, which is just what you need after a head injury. I can't. I can't yeah, exactly. Um, I have to assume that, like, to to the lumps, a kid and a dog might as well be the same. Well, actually, here's the thing. I just considered: have we seen other dogs in the animated universe before, or is this the first time we've ever seen what life is like for other dogs? I think you're right, uh... Molly. I think this is. I think this is uh, this is first dog, first animated other dogs. Oh, there must have been other dogs in Snoopy Come Home. Like there must have been other there dogs are, there. There are not. They're not right because there's that whole no dogs allowed sequence, but it's just a sign. Right. Every all the other dogs paid attention to that sign and <laughs> vacated uh, the area uh, for it never to return. And I wonder. I wonder if those dogs ever got word that you can just like walk around and play baseball. And stuff. Well, they're, they're all locked up in these like chain link fence kind of kennel sort of situation. So I, I don't Snoopy may be the only dog that walks free because he's able to pass as a human. I don't know. It's, I, I it's, guess. It's just the, the maybe the, they think he's just a hairy child. Well, Peppermint Patty certainly does. And maybe she's not the Hi, only one. Hairy child. Pleased to meet you. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, I feel like there's an entire like 12 monkeys thing that could be done where Snoopy like realizes that his brethren are being uh are being locked up against their will and and he frees Well, cuz this is the thing. Charlie Brown comes to in the in the pound and is like, "I have to get back to motocross," which is the first thing you think when you come out of a concussion. <laughs> okay, uh, I have some questions about the structure of this race. Oh, oh <laughs> thank you. That 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 brings me to my next note, Kathleen. Some sort of endurance contest of just like who doesn't die. My note is: is yeah, this motor? It's a tontine. Yeah. What's a? I'm sorry. What's a tontine? <laughs> oh, it's a thing where everybody pays in uh, money to a central pool, and the last person to die gets the whole pool. That's the that's the very definition of the long game. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> why, why did that? Ro- is that something in literature or pop culture that is because that rolled right off your tongue? It has recently uh, come into Archer. It was in Archer a couple seasons uh, ago. Yeah. It was uh, like, a, I think it was a thing that people did for like, just to feel something during World War II. Right. Right. And, uh, and has been sort of resurrected recently. 
It's, they're it, very illegal, Josh. They're exceptionally illegal because it does make people likely to kill you. <laughs> I mean, they'd have to get in line. I'm a I'm a wanted man in fifty states. Um, that my note, <laughs> Kathleen, to your to your comment, uh, my note is: Is this motocross race sixty three days long? And can you just piece out of a race and then come back a few days later? Like it's a Tour it, de France kind of situation, yeah. It really is because there had to be time to take Charlie Brown and Snoopy to their respective wrong hospitals long enough for Charlie Brown to snap out of his fugue state, Snoopy to enjoy a magazine and eat a lavish or most of a lavish dinner, and then they are back to it. And then we immediately throw to, well, there are only three people in this race left. And they they robbed us of the hospital escape sequence that was implied. Because, uh, like, Charlie Brown goes, I have to get back to motocross. And then cut to him in the hospital yanking Snoopy out of bed. Cut to they're back in motocross. And I want to see the sequence where Charlie Brown ba- breaks out of the pound. I, I want to. I want the the entire sequence that they implied. It's the great escape, Charlie Brown. I will just say that Charlie Brown, true to the name of the episode, is a very good sport because he didn't have to go and get his opponent, Snoopy, out of the hospital. He could have left them there <laughs> to increase his own odds it's true. of winning the race. He, but he's still angry about it. Well, he'd be, he'd be accused because clearly the masked Marvel is loved by the audience and he'd be accused of like murdering the masked Marvel if he doesn't present him. Sure. Uh, and, uh, but he's still, uh, he's still Charlie Brown when he gets Snoopy out of the hospital. Uh, he still, and maybe it's just because he's angry that Snoopy got to, to go to the human hospital and Charlie Brown got like, rabies and distemper shots or whatever <laughs> ungodly things they did to him in Dog World. Uh, he got spayed. <laughs> oh no. Oh, I'm sorry. You're infertile, Charlie Brown. <laughs> You're a eunuch, Charlie Brown. <laughs> <laughs> you have to wear this cone, Charlie Brown. Oh God. Where would it, where would a human wear it though? Around his waist? <laughs> yeah, I got well, I mean, God, they'd have to get a cone pretty big to fit around that head, huh? Oh God! Uh, oh, it's a nightmare! It's a nightmare, Charlie Brown. Uh, uh, speaking of nightmares, I, I, we are to assume that all of the other, which started as like forty kids in this race, is now down to three, and which means thirty-seven children are dead. That's the only that that is my only uh, that's the only conclusion that can be drawn. Well, no, we 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 do see as in sort of the the sequence where Charlie Brown and Snoopy rejoin the race or the Masked Marvel. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Wait, who who's Snoopy? I don't. I haven't seen him. He's in the hospital. Um, but they they drive past a bunch of kids who are just stranded on their bikes. They're not. They're mm-hmm. not. The, the, the motor's not engaged. They're not trying to escape. They're just kind of sitting there, like, okay, I guess I live in mud now. <laughs> yeah, they've given up. Which culturally seems like a good fit for Charlie Brown. Actually, maybe he's a better fit for motocross than we thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like much in the same way, Molly, that you feel like you were robbed of Charlie Brown's daring escape from dog jail. Like, I wanted to see like kids go sailing over the side of mountains kids only getting to the yeah. kids only getting uh through from whoop to d and then uh you know breaking their tiny limbs uh at do so we're down to three racers because all of the other children are either dead or stuck in mud uh i had a theory uh to just uh, to a, a tip of the lump to meet lump theory i had a theory that the uh, mud pits were actually freelance lumps mm. just uh 
who just who just oozed themselves into a pit. Maybe that's the parental <laughs> supervision. <laughs> yeah, actually, that was a pit, and then the lumps were like, no, but the children, and filled the little. Just they're catching. <laughs> Your helmet. <laughs> oh, right. The helmet. That's uh, Charlie Brown loses his helmet in the uh, motocross crash. Uh, and I guess the helmet gets zizzed into the nothing dimension because Allah that beats it. Yeah. Yeah. Allah, oh, delicious. Uh, God, I just want to talk about voice all day. Um, so they uh, so they slap a pumpkin on his head. And uh, and like I said, that's the only thing I remember from this episode. And I feel like they missed a bet not having everybody point at Charlie Brown and say, hey, look at the kid with the pumpkin on his head. Somebody does call out pumpkin head in the in the scene where like he's like coming around to the end, I think. I think they would do that whether or not he was wearing a pumpkin on his head, though. Uh, got, cause, uh, agreed. And his head, I mean, canonically, his head has been used as a pumpkin analog. Yeah, it's a pumpkin standing. Yep. Yep. Uh, but no, but but there's no Lucy pointing at him and say, or no, uh, no peppermint patty like, yeah. hey Chuck, get a load of your crazy squash or whatever. Like it, <laughs> everybody just sort of lets it go, and it makes me wonder if at this point in all of these characters' lives, people are just like, oh yeah, no, that's Charlie Brown, and he just does stupid shit, and we're just gonna go on with our lives. His dad's a barber. Go easy on him. <laughs> He's what? not a millionaire like the rest of us. Like Peppermint Patty, like Moneybags Peppermint Patty, <laughs> who lives in a golden house with her golden motocross bike. Hey, is anybody else in the mood for some Snoopy bullshit? Because we got some. Me. Uh, <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> it has been so long. Uh, Snoopy's bike conks out. And uh, once again, he is nearly murdered by an inanimate object. Um, like the chair in think the, uh, like the trees and vines in our upcoming, uh, Arbor Day episode. And, uh, speaking of the X-Men as we were earlier, I'm now beginning to wonder if there is some sort of low level psychic field around Snoopy that causes things in his presence to, to become briefly sentient and try and kill him. May I mean, I think Snoopy kind of, especially with the other dogs that we've now seen in this universe, Snoopy kind of presents the sort of, if Goofy is a dog, then what is Pluto kind of problem. Right. And so whatever sort of, it's sort of the, the, the destruction field that sort of causes everything wonky in this universe and made everybody lumps and so on, it could be that there's some sort of, I don't, I want, it's it's sort of Doctor Who, like some sort of immune system that's like, you're an abomination and you must be ended, mm. you know? Yeah, There's- I just, I worry about when Snoopy actually decides to harness this power. Like, it's almost, like, I almost wonder if it's like, if he suffers from the same, not suffers, but has the same sort of mutation that, say, Magneto does. Like... Well, because and I think it's somewhere in this, this sequence we're in now where Charlie Brown kind of fails his way up through the race, um... Snoopy pulls over and just rips out an entire banquet, like in a picnic basket. And he seems to have sort of Mary Poppins sort of mask, like space consolidation powers. Yes. There's a, I mean, because Snoopy, I think, has several TARDISes, you know, that is 
Well, I mean, like, the doghouse is well-established is not really obeying the laws of space, right? Yeah. Because like, you got, like, a Van Gogh and a pool table down there. Well, I mean, unless it's just a gigantic rambling underground bunker, like the tunnels under Disneyland or I something. I think uh, Joseph may have presented, I, I don't, I can't, I, I don't remember who presented, but it was likely Joseph, uh, in the Thanksgiving episode, the idea that um, Snoopy's doghouse and that big crowded garage where he pulled out the angry chair are connected in some way and it's sort of like a picture of Dorian Gray situation where mm. the more stuff he crowds into the doghouse the more crowded the garage becomes oh yeah mm. that makes sense yeah we'll eventually connect all the pieces of this universe so that it, it makes sense yeah. and we can start our own wiki and of course this is oh. a different time with ample street parking so it's not a problem <laughs> uh oh uh we have, again, it's that Writing 101 book that they cracked open uh, that you mentioned, uh, Kathleen, where uh, when Snoopy's bike conks <laughs> out before he pulls out his sumptuous feast, he gets the idea to rip out the guts of his uh, bike and put them in the tennis ball serving machine. It's which great. He, it's great. It doesn't make a fucking lick of sense, but it looks really cool. Mm-hmm. And... It does a thing that they never do in these episodes, which is it says, oh, you know what? Something happened at the beginning of the episode. Let's make a reference to it later in the episode. Yeah, let's not make this cold open a complete throwaway thing that is just sitting here to fill celluloid. <laughs> yeah. right? Let's let's tell let's make a narrative arc. I know it's so surprising. Let's not just pad for time between commercials. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, I think it would have made a little more sense if we had seen the if we had seen the tennis ball machine sort of zizz around in addition to shooting too many tennis balls sort of zizz around the court of its own kind of of its own volition but i'm willing to let it go because again i was just like oh my god i'm so proud of you peanut special writers room you you connected dots you never do that are you feeling okay like i i, I don't know maybe they Maybe they all switched from decaf or like better coffee. Maybe the first Starbucks opened that year. I don't know, but it's just, it's just joyful. This is they just got a, a really keen intern who is like, guys, motocross. I took a class at school. <laughs> um. So Snoopy. Oh, and then the other real cool thing is that Snoopy gets on his uh, tennis ball serving machine, zizzes down uh, the way. Turns, drives backwards, and starts firing tennis balls at Charlie Brown. And if you for a movie one day, you got another thing coming. That was that was dope as hell. It's, it went like full like Fury Road. It was great. Yeah, it went. It reminded me of Spy Hunter. Uh, and now I want to see a version of Spy Hunter that's just Snoopy driving around on a tennis ball server, taking out... Pe- like, I'm sure there were Garbage Peanuts video tie-in games in the 80s and 90s, and uh, I hope is him... Kathleen, to- that's our podcast. We gotta- <laughs> Oh my god. I don't think there's literally ever been a good Peanuts game. No. They're all rail shooters, I'm sure. Uh, I seem to remember <laughs> one. I think I had it for the 2600 that was like Defender, but it was uh, Snoopy uh, in World War One flying ace mode, uh, mm-hmm. zipping around on his doghouse, shooting at biplanes. And that was it. Uh, <laughs> anytime, anytime we want to do a bonus episode and just talk about uh, cruddy 8-bit to 16 to 32-bit uh, Peanuts games, let's absolutely do that. Yes. I think that would be fun. Oh, perhaps, perhaps a Twitch 
Perhaps a Twitch Perhaps one a day. Perhaps a Twitch. Yeah. Oh. That, that's a th- I understand that is the thing the kids are into. Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> I mean, you'd have to come up here to Canada, but I, ha- I have access to a very nice Twitch studio. That's true. That could play these terrible games. Show off. There was a, a game. Uh, there was a Peanuts ca- game that came out for the Peanuts movie. Oh. And it looked abominable. And it was like one of those Snoopy's on a biplane kind of games. We could all just come up and play it. I, just get to Canada. I, just, I, done. Hey, Josh. Done. Victoria's dope as hell. We should actually do this. Yeah, that's great. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, that we are relocating the Peanuts Gallery studio to Victoria. <laughs> We're just going to move in with you, Kathleen. How does that sound? We'll just live in the moon base. Uh, I mean, uh, no, it's great. The weather is, is extremely clement here, so it's probably fine. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Heard. I want to call out another thing in this motocross sequence that yeah, I really sure. liked. Please. It was a nice return to the old standard of unison talking. Like, where a bunch of children get these sort of M. Night Shyamalan happening spore and all just talk in unison about what's happening in the race. And there are a couple of very shiny examples of that, and it made me very happy. Uh, did you? There's one that I watched about 52 times in a row, and I could not, for the life of me, understand what they were saying. Molly or Kathleen, could you parse what the kids were shouting? I, uh, near the nearish the end. N- no, no, there was there were sort of three or four different things happening at once. Um, I can I can pull it up and try and see. You could sort of get like the last like there was clearly some unison, like several unisons happening at once that would sort of con like converge into unison and then split again, like a certain sort of madrigal of shouting. It was luckily it didn't seem to uh, it wasn't carrying it was it wasn't any load bearing unison talking. It was just sort of a general peas and carrots. No, no, no. Uh, Wait, I need to go back because I need to talk about a, uh, a, a very, what I thought was a great scene. I think it's after Snoopy has set out the picnic and Charlie Brown has inexplicably sur- survived the tennis ball volley. And then Charlie Brown, <laughs> Snoopy just watches him slowly go past and they just and it's totally quiet. It's just Snoopy watches Charlie Brown go from one side of the frame to the other on his stupid bike. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. It's very innately funny. It lasts for just the right amount of time. It's just the right amount of downtime after this big sort of like sumptuous feast joke thing. It's just this quiet moment of reflection. And I don't think Peanuts does quiet jokes like that very often. And I liked it. Not in the specials, certainly. But, no. Because I, I feel like in... We noticed a real sharp difference between the Christmas special and uh, I think play it, not play it again, um, Charlie Brown's All-Stars, Yes, which was the, the second episode of our whole thing. And noticing that, you know, one of the nice things about the Christmas special is it is so strip-like. It's so, the frames are laid out like a strip. But then with Charlie Brown's All-Stars, they really clearly were like, no, but this is animation and we can do different things. Mm. And I feel like they kind of swung for that fence in this one too, which is really refreshing. Yeah, appropriate medium and all that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Certainly, there were no there were no computers to help them. I don't even know if they were using like uh, they certainly weren't using the rotoscope or xeroxing or anything like that. So I think it was just sort of luck of the draw, the mood of the animators, and because some of them are a joy to watch, and then others are like 
you know, like televised radio, like uh, almost like Hanna-Barbera level of animation. And uh, and this one, everything just fires on all cylinders. Kathleen, you brought up a really good point about the uh, about Charlie Brown sort of putzing by on his bike in that it goes the exact right amount of time. And I propose the thing that I like the most about this episode uh, and it's sort of counter, uh, it's a counterpoint to what you were saying before, Molly, about how you wanted to see Charlie Brown escape and then Snoopy escape. I feel like absolutely nothing got dragged out in this episode. Like it's a lot of Snoopy playing tennis up front, but besides that, everything, everything's real quick and punchy. Uh, things are allowed to breathe and nothing wears out its welcome. Mm-hmm. Well, and honestly, I think that the Snoopy tennis montage at the front is earned because they do call back to the pitchback machine at the end. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they, they kind of set up a relationship basically with this object and it makes that whole sequence seem less gratuitous, if you know what I totally. mean. Totally. Yeah. Uh, another thing that, uh, another thing I want to just uh, make mention of, uh, a callback to my favorite gag from a boy named Charlie Brown. Um, Charlie Brown is winded after uh, driving around on his little motocross bike. Sally pours a glass of lemonade and then drinks it. It's it is an obvious stupid gag, and it gets me every single time. I like that they only did it once. Yes, <laughs> yes, as opposed to a boy named Charlie Brown, where they do it sixteen yeah. times. <laughs> Although they were, and which I feel like was for my benefit. Um, Sally was very enjoyable in this episode. Everybody. With the exception of Linus, who is uh, a little off model here and there, everybody is very sort of enjoyable and relatable and fun and on model uh, in this. And then we get to the mm-hmm. end. Um, Charlie Brown wins. I feel like this has to be a first in the animated canon that there was some kind of event and even though it seems like all the other children either died or went off the size of whoop-de-doos or were stuck in mud or were driving tennis machines or whatever, like, Charlie Brown still effectively won. Yeah, and he won in the Charlie Browniest way, which was to persevere and keep going and not give up, which is sort of like Charlie Brown's yep. sort of Protestant little, oh, I guess so, kind of like way that he approaches things, yeah. you know? Um, and I guess now that I say that out loud, he does win a couple of the spelling bee heats in A Boy Named Charlie Brown. But then at the end, spoiler, he loses the big one and everybody thinks he's a jerk. Um, he wins this. Lucy is angry about it. Like she tries to give him credit, but her face is still at maximum crabbiness when she's like, Charlie Brown won. Now I guess the entire world's going to come to an end. Well, she's got like resting crab face too. So. <laughs> Yeah. This is true. This is true. I don't. I mean, I also have resting crab face, so I'm like, yeah, I get you. I get you, girl. <laughs> I I did not mean to face shame anyone. I uh, I was yes. Uh, then that that's just what her face does. And I think that Charlie Brown's joy is like a dagger in her throat. Speaking like I don't. <laughs> speaking of face shaming, can we talk about my favorite character in this whole episode? Yeah, uh, Queen Loretta, the motocross queen. This joke just doesn't hold up nowadays, does that? I don't know if it held up then. So Charlie Brown wins. And this is a real important thing. The episode could end right here. And we would all be like, Mm -hmm. Charlie, hey, holy shit, Charlie Brown won a thing. That's incredible. Uh, Instead, what happens is uh, they introduce 
Loretta to give him his prize, which was set up as two tickets to the Pro Bowl. Um, uh, the lump, I guess it's the lump bowl. The non-copyright infringing Pro Bowl. <laughs> the big, the big <laughs> game, as they say on the Food Network, because they cannot get the rights to say Super Bowl. Like, yeah, we're going to make meals for it. The big event. Uh, yeah, so two tickets to the Pro Bowl. They introduce Loretta, the motocross queen. Molly, please tell us all about Loretta. Well, here's the thing about Loretta. She has a Charlie Brown-shaped head, and then her hair seems to be two bottle brushes down the sides of her face. Uh... I don't think she had a crown, but I believe she had a sash. Uh, and she presents Charlie Brown with several smooches, a gratuitous amount of smooches, and a certificate for haircuts. Um, and uh, like I said, I've had kind of flashbacks um, as I, I was watching this episode of like, oh, that imagery is familiar. I maybe have seen this. Oh, yeah, I remember that bit. I remember. And one of the things that it was Queen Loretta, because I am positive as a tiny, weird, dark-haired child that I saw Queen Loretta and went, that's me. <laughs> it me. <laughs> Representation. And I, I did wonder in the sort of matriarchy that Lucy has clearly constructed, is this a figurehead position that has been given to Queen Loretta? Uh, sort of what is her deal? I'm very curious about is her. Is there, I mean, I, and now Kathleen, to the best of your recollection, there was never a motocross arc in the strip. Uh, is there a Loretta in the canon with crazy bristle brush hair and uh, wonky eyes who just loves kissing? I do not believe so. I'm just so sort of disappointed that like, you know, hey, Charlie Brown, you finally won. But we're going to like, oh, but, you know, the girl that gives you a kiss is unattractive. Womp womp. Or like, you know, you think she like, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, no. It- like, I, I, I find that so disappointing and to look back on that as an adult, I'm just like, oh, right. Even Charlie Brown, who is like, you know, the poster boy for look on the inside is like, well, I don't know. This girl's not physically attractive. So I'm going to kind of roll my eyes. Yeah, beggars can't thing. be choosers, Chuck. Like, <sighs> well, and, and in the Charlie Brown universe, you know, all the women are either they're, they're a nag or a sh- like some sort of shrew. Like there's there's no just kind of positive female rela- like male female relationships. And they've added, like, this new dimension of, like, okay, so women can also be an obstacle. Women can be an inconvenience, which is a fun new twist on um, the classic. If they had just mm-hmm. – if they hadn't had any Loretta the motocross queen, if they had just said, Charlie Brown, I'm sorry, we didn't get tickets to the Pro Bowl, but here is a gift certificate for five haircuts, the joke would have worked just as well. <laughs> Probably would have worked better because it would have gotten there faster. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but it really <sighs> – yeah, and it made me it made me hate 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 Charlie Brown because it's one of those things it's like Charlie Brown you just won and now you're going to get this award and it's like the real solution here which I thought would be like the O Henryist type solution would be like hey, I don't need this gift certificate. Loretta, your hair seems to be made of the same substance that's on Wooly Willie's head. Why don't you take, why don't you, girl, go treat yourself. Go get a hot oil treatment. Go get your hair did. Go 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 do some self-care, Loretta the motocross Go get a perm. Queen. Were perms a thing in the 70s? Sure they were. Go get perms, one, Loretta. Perms were absolutely a thing uh, because I, and, and confidentially, let's just say, I don't think Frida's hair is naturally curly. My technologically curly hair. <laughs> Holy shit. These are big accusations we're throwing around here. Welcome to Peanuts After Dark. This is the foundation of the Peanuts community we're, shout, we're, we're shaking here. Frida doesn't have natural Dateline, curly Dateline, 1975. Hair. 
who is <laughs> what red-haired girl who isn't little was seen at the local salon getting her naturally curly hair naturally curled only her hairdresser knows for sure wink that's what this universe is missing. This universe is missing after show. I guess that's what we're doing. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But I would love to see, it's just all of the Peanuts characters afterwards and just like, it's Andy Cohen from Bravo. Just like, all right, now when Snoopy fired tennis balls at you, how did that make you feel, Charlie Brown? Be honest. Well, I don't like to talk, but. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure we could get Chris Hardwick to host it. I'm sure he's free. He's (laughs) <laughs> he he got he just lives in the after show dimension at this point cuz he's got so many jobs. Um Linus then has to convince Charlie Brown that his victory was a victory. And that made me so angry. So like unspeakably a- and it made me angry not I mean obviously Charlie Brown uh, I don't want to blow anyone's mind here. Charlie Brown is not real. Um, none of these characters are real. Oh, my God. Okay, hang on. Can you mute it? We need to talk to Kathleen for a second. Um, but it made me mad at the writers that they couldn't come up with a better way for Charlie Brown to not enjoy his victory. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think give him this one. Or at least give him something at the end. Again, if it's as simple, I think it's just the Loretta of it that made me a little a little furious. Uh, but Linus convinces Charlie Brown um, and Charlie Brown's like, yeah, I guess you're right. Well, Hey, maybe. And then we throw to the baseball field. Uh, Charlie Brown throws a pitch, gets all of his clothes uh, knocked off. And we all walk away content in the knowledge that Charlie Brown is a loser. Yeah. He's still, still terrible. sucks. Yeah. This leads then to my favorite closing credit sequence of all time up until this point. In the chronology, it's just Charlie Brown, shirtless, broken, and sad, sitting on the pitcher's mound, staring in the middle distance as the names of all that have wronged him appeared over his head. Same as it ever was. It made me so happy for some weird reason because it was just like oh this is i felt like we were like oh this is truly a picture of charlie brown's soul when i think of charlie brown i will now forever think of him just sitting on that pitcher's mound a broken and uh, a broken uh and just semi-clothed man it's extremely evocative of charlie brown you look at that and you're like that's charlie brown and then you listen to the closing credits and you're like yeah. well it doesn't sound like mm-hmm. peanuts but it sounds rad it's funky like it's, depression it's, they're enjoyable credits um and that brings us to the end of this episode i'm gonna make a bold statement my friends i'm gonna say this is my favorite one uh that a my favorite like one that is not uh or certainly in my top three obviously it is different mm-hmm. it's different from charlie brown christmas because all of them are different from charlie brown christmas um it's different from the halloween episode which i also really liked but i think it is uh, as the series kind of go on in this sort of nothing happens and they're all kind of garbagey disposable episodes it really it really has won a place in my heart yeah, and I, I, I think as as we've been going through these for this po- this podcast, um, definitely the Christmas special seems to be the gold medalist for most people, and the Halloween special seems to be the silver medalist for most people. But the bronze spot is kind of up for debate, and it seems to be. Um, uh, uh, Kathleen, would you agree that those are sort of the top, the sort of top two, the sort of standard? 
Well, I'd say that those are the top two because one, I think that they're like objectively sort of like the ones that the most people have seen and that people are going to have warm childhood memories of and enjoy watching. But as experience, because I have a young child, she also really likes the Charlie Brown Christmas special, which is insane to me because it's not paced like the normal cartoons of today. It's so slow moving. But I think there actually is something quite like magically delightful about the Charlie Brown Christmas special and to a lesser extent the, ex- extent the Halloween special. And then whatever third sure. place is whatever you fondly remember watching as a child, right? Mm-hmm. And then you go back and rewatch it you have, and you have a Kathleen experience where you're like, it's Mr. Charlie Brown is not very good. <laughs> oh. I love that. Um, I would... Balls. I would put this with... Uh, I, I would have to go back and... I'm sure on the episode I was like, this is also garbage. Uh, I would put it with like, it's a short summer Charlie Brown. Although I would say even mm. this has the edge over that because I feel like this is just sort of more active and fun. But I think if they're going to be garbage episodes about nothing, then it can be made up for with tight writing, fun animation, clever gap. You know, things things mm-hmm. that make a good thing good, I guess, is my is my awesome groundbreaking theory that I'm debuting on this podcast. <laughs> that good things are enjoyable. Yeah, because you can argue that this one is just qualitatively good. Like, because I have a soft spot for Mr. Beagle and the Thanksgiving one and a lot of the holiday ones. But, like, if I were to sit someone down who was not familiar with the Charlie Brown animated universe um, in front of the Easter Beagle, I would feel like I have to disclaim a lot. I would have to mm-hmm. kind of describe, you know, well, you know, the blandish, this was kind of in an era of sort of shoddy blandishment, you know, this one, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I could plop someone down in front of this and be like, here, have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> and sort of latchkey style, uh, like leave my peppermint patty alone and then go off and do my business, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's just, it's it's got good writing. The animation is bad, but like good by peanut standards. Uh, the story is well written and like, the things that are put in there are put in there for a reason and like the writing obeys like the basic rules of not just making references for the sake of it and calling back and like Mm -hmm. you know telling a complete story and you know there's some sort of like actual sort of emotional finale of charlie brown winning the race rather than just having victory cruelly and somewhat arbitrarily plucked from him (laughs) to meet the standards that people expect from charlie brown that really turns a lot of people off honestly Mm -hmm. right you know like there seems to be a real freedom in not having to have an, a special that is entirely derivative of strips. It seems like they have been kind of un, unleashed in, in an odd way to let Charlie Brown wear a pumpkin on his head and drive through like lump mud. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think we will, I think that will, uh, the conversation that begins with uh, this episode will end at the end of the season when we discuss Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown. Uh, which mm. sort of, which if I if I remember correctly, combines a lot of the stuff that I liked about Short Summer with a lot of the stuff that I enjoyed about this episode. And it is, it's very, it you when you think of Peanuts, you don't necessarily think of like action, but it turns out that when they put their minds to it, it's a thing that they do very well. Uh, mm-hmm. So a, a really a really just kind of all around and by uh, to to reiterate Emmy winning episode. I'm I'm really pleased with it. What did it win an Emmy for? What, what uh, category? Out, outstanding children's programming. Yeah, I I believe it. It's good. Yeah. Um, now I also I also feel like that there's a good chance that they got 
there was just such a dearth of quality children's programming because uh, Arbor Day also was nominated for an Emmy, did not win. And uh, I believe that nomination was sort of the equivalent of the poorly drawn star you tried meme. I, I'm not I'm not up on my history of the Emmys. Was was like giving Charlie Brown specials Emmy nods in the 1970s just a thing that was done? Did they just always get nominated for Emmys because they were popular and people liked them? Mm. Right? It's like you're like a, it, even if Disney really like shat the bed and put out a real trash fire, it would still get nominated for an Oscar, right? Yeah, Boss Baby got an Oscar. Uh, nominated, really? Nominated for an Oscar. No. Our time. Look, look, folks. Our timeline is dark, but it is not. Boss <laughs> Baby has an Oscar dark. <laughs> That's my mistake. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's still a deserved Emmy. Good show. <laughs> yeah, Kat, no, totally. Uh, I think it was a combination between these were popular specials, or you know, Peanuts was just an unstoppable juggernaut of popularity, especially as we got into the uh, later seventies. But I also think it was just like there just wasn't a lot of stuff. There's like you know, uh, maybe some some Sesame Street garbage and like some Rankin Bass bullshit. And that's about it, uh, because like I said, Arbor Day got nominated for an Emmy and it is quite possibly one of the worst things I've ever seen. Uh, and I have seen I've seen a movie called Devil Fetus to give you an idea of the terrible things that I have seen. Um, I would say they are tied for terribleness um, God, on a scale of you're a good sport to Devil Fetus. Yes. Uh, now, Molly. Yes. I remember you saying at the beginning of the episode. That you had a quiz prepared for us. I do, because I have assembled here a panel of both uh, Peanuts uh, aficionados and also music aficionados. And I don't know, you're hopefully you're not pronunciation aficionados, because I don't know how to pronounce that word, and I'm going to stop using it. But um, <laughs> as we mentioned at the top of this episode, uh, this one had just a kick in Garaldi soundtrack with some real kind of cool experimental sounds in there. Um, and... Bless them. There are people that rip the soundtracks from these and put them on YouTube just un untouched by the the text of the episode. Uh, and so I have broken that down to tracks. And what I would like y'all to do. I'm so excited. Yes, me too. I'm excited that you're excited. What I would like y'all to do, I'm going to play you little snippets from each of the five tracks, the distinct tracks on this soundtrack. And I would like you to guess what the title of these pieces are. Okay. So uh, here is track one. What is the title of that piece, you guys? I'm going to guess it's something along the line of like main theme. <laughs> or I'm going to guess. Oh, go ahead. Or maybe like. Woodstock or something like that. I don't know. I have no idea. This is very difficult. If you, uh, how, sorry. Um, if you, if you were in charge of titling these tracks, say, what would you call them? Okay. Uh, I would call that one, and it would also be in italics. I read it for the articles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Kathleen? Ah, oh, if I could call it anything. Uh, uh, uh. Because I'll tell you something now. These titles are always a little less descriptive than you want them to be. I'm so. going to say Autumn Day. Ooh. Oh, oh. That is, that is uh, within the right sort of field. That one is called Motocross. 
So main theme wasn't too far off. All right. Yeah. No. Um, and I I thought I called that one in my notes upsetting base arpeggiation, but that's just that's just me. That's just me playing with synths. Okay, it's track two. What is that one called in your perfect world oh, that, on your perfect soundtrack? That, that's so Isn't nice. It? It's not what I would call it, but it's just super. It's pleasant. very Garaldi like. It's it. Yeah. It's real good sort of Garaldi vibes. Yeah, yeah. This is good. All the hits of the classic sort of soundtrack beats. Ah, uh, I'm just trying to think who's on screen when that plays. I wish uh, I could control the volume enough to just have it real mellow in the background because it's so pleasant. <clears throat> Yeah, and send me a link to the soundtrack afterwards. This is gonna be my new work jam. This is so it's it's. I'm trying to I'm trying to be right, but also esoteric and funny. But I most of all, I just want to be right because I love winning. Well, Kathleen, I'll tell you, one of your guesses for the previous one was pretty close to this oh. one. Oh. Oh. Okay. Well, it sounds pleasant and lighthearted, so I'm gonna say something like outdoorsy or or just like descriptive like afternoon or something like that we'll say we'll say september october afternoon uh which is sort of like autumn and day. uh and keeping with the tennis theme uh and the particular timber of that track i am going to call that track ball and sir vastion ball and sir vastion writing that one down <laughs> um, kathleen i'm gonna give that point to you because that track is called autumn stroll oh so you were very, very close. I, I do like Ball and oh. Sebastian, though. That should be the name of our tennis team. Here, here's track three. That's what's playing when Lucy's trying to convince Charlie Brown to kick the football and Peppermint Patty comes in and is like, motocross, <laughs> right? I think so. And they do use a couple of these. They especially use the motocross theme several, several times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go ahead, Josh. You go first. Uh, I Even though it's not the right place in the episode for it, I'm going to call that one Queen Loretta's Blues. Queen Loretta's Blues. That's that's a damn good band name is what that is. It It is. Uh, I'm gonna call that. I'm gonna call that uh, budget woes. <laughs> when Charlie Brown's like, I cannot afford to buy a motocross bike. <laughs> Music to balance your checkbook by. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you both points for that because I liked your answers, though they were both wrong. That one's called Center Court. All one word. Uh, center Court. Center Court. Uh, center. Oh. Center Court for you. That's what that was. I oh. hit the button on accident. Here is track four. I'm going to let this whole one play because it's very short. Oh, oh it's just a sting, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I love it, though. I love that tone. I think it's short enough to be a ringtone, so I'm going to test that as soon as this episode is over. Great. Now we just need someone, anyone to call us. Uh <laughs> uh, I'm going to say dog hospital. Dog hospital. I'm writing all these down. Kathleen, any guesses? Head injury. 
<laughs> Wait, does that sound like a hand injury? Let's try one more time. Yeah, that sounds like waking up in a dog pound. That one, that one is called Bass Blues. Oh. I think we can agree that all of the titles we have come up with so far are better. <laughs> so if they re-release this on vinyl or something, uh, they should they should hit us up. Uh, here is the last one, track five. Can I just say I love that how like the synthy tones are just there to add a little like uh, background setting mm-hmm. to the more traditional piano playing, and I just I think that is such a good marriage of yeah. the synthy moog and the traditional Garaldi jazziness. It sort of has echoes to like earlier soundtrack pieces he's done with while still being like of the era of the 1970s. It's a really clever way to update it. Absolutely, it kind of creates a, a sweet and. Um, what I couldn't, there's not really, it's just a limitation of the software that I'm using, but sort of later in that uh, track, there comes sort of a more forward sounding sort of synth voice, a sort of a horn section. And, you know, I've kind of been getting into synth of this period. Uh, my partner and I have been looking into it. And a lot of the marketing of it, or like back in the day, was you can be your own band. You can be your own rhythm section and your own horn section. And I feel like that is fully what Garaldi was doing on this soundtrack was just like, now I'm going to take a horn solo. Now I'm going to take a string solo and just spreading out entirely into his own, his entire arrangement. Absolutely. I still, I think Kathleen has a really good point though, especially when one compares and contrasts with uh, the Arbor Day soundtrack, uh, Garaldi's last, which really nothing but synth with a little sparse instrumentation in the back. This to me is the perfect marriage of the Mm -hmm. two. Uh, Did we ever name that track, by the way? No, but would you like a hint? No. No, okay, go for it then. Kathleen? I'm gonna say baseball denouement. (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) Uh, And I'm gonna say shirtless and alone. (laughs) Um, I'm gonna give uh, Kathleen a point for getting close and Josh a point for for just kind of nailing the mood on the head. That one's called football head. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, of course, because yeah. that scene where Charlie Brown's head turns into a football. So I think, Kathleen, I, I'm going to declare you the winner of that quiz because you got two really near swings. Yay! Um, yay! And you win a, a copy of that soundtrack as I ripped it from YouTube. Yay! yay. And five haircuts. <laughs> That's actually sort of useful because I did actually postpone a haircut so I could uh, record this podcast today. Oh so. hell yeah! What a what a Sophie's <laughs> choice that must have been. I hope. No, I, not really. I, I actually, hope you, I hope you were able to recover from the PTSD of having to make such a. Well, we appreciate it, Kathleen. Do you have any? Uh, do you have any concluding thoughts on the episode? Uh, this is a better peanut special than I think most people would realize, and I'm actually going to make other people watch it. Because I think uh, I think it's actually a very good example of some clean writing and like callbacks and stuff like that and timing and pacing. It's twenty five minute investment has a good soundtrack and mm-hmm. uh, I can see why it won an Emmy. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna make my husband watch it. That's great. Heck yeah. There you go. And and your and your small human does. Yeah, yeah, this is appropriate for my small human to watch. Yes. Sure. Excellent. Uh, Molly, concluding thoughts. It's it's just nice as a person who has not uh, read the strips. It's nice to have a special where 
um, that sort of dissonant. I mean, I've read some of the strips. It's not that I have never heard of the strip, but it's it's nice to have uh, an animated special that kind of is of its own sort of origin. You know, it kind of yeah. stands alone. It is very much its own thing. And there's not that sort of stench of human suffering from the Blandish department that you get from a lot of these. Uh, it was just just a very a very good time, yeah. and I didn't expect it to like to like it as much as I did. I I, I wasn't expecting to ever like an episode again, quite frankly. Uh, after the after the <laughs> woofers that we've been watching, <laughs> Kathleen, uh, we're, and of course we'll put this all up on the website. But uh, uh, where can where can we find you, and what are you working on? Uh, well, I uh, I'm a member of Loading Ready Run. We're like a big comedy collective based <laughs> out of Victoria, BC, Canada. We do all sorts of things. We stream. We do YouTube videos. And uh, the most recent thing that I got involved in is uh, we decided that we should do our own British style quiz show where we have good arguments, and it's called the Panelists. And uh, oh. I've been speaking much about my love of the 1970s sort of synthy sound and uh, uh for the for the sound for that we actually can i uh i say i but we loading ready run commissioned a very talented artist out of the uk and basically i just sent him a bunch of pbs eye dance and i said make me this <laughs> so oh, you know great. i'm i'm eating my own dog food here so check that out on youtube <laughs> it's on uh <laughs> youtube.com youtube.com <laughs> enjoy kathleen's dog food i guess is yeah. a thing that makes sense uh molly anything you want to plug um, I've been trying to get better about updating my website, which is mollylewis.wtf. Uh, and you can also find, uh, this podcast on Twitter as peanuts podcast. Uh, Josh and I are also on Twitter individually and that you can find that info on our simple cast page. I wouldn't go looking too hard for me on Twitter though. I gave it up for, uh, for Lent. I don't know. Uh, God but bless. you, but you can definitely find me on Instagram at Josh A. Kagan. And there are pictures of my dogs and what I had for lunch as is social media law. Uh, and and I think that covers just about everything. I'm Josh A. Kagan. I'm Molly Lewis. And our special guest has been Kathleen DeVere. Say goodbye to the nice people, Kathleen DeVere. Bye, nice people. <laughs> this has been Peanuts Gallery. <laughs> Peace out. They just handed me this microphone and told me to do the interviews for the race. Well, great. Go to it. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, tweeting about us at Peanuts Podcast, or telling a friend. Thanks to Lard D'Souza for the graphics, Ken Plume for the blandishment, Waffle Media for the nickels, and Sparky, Bill, and Lee for everything else. If you'd like to buy an official Peanuts Gallery meat lump plush, you can't because they don't exist. But you can turn a dirty sock inside out and put googly eyes on it, and you're basically there. 